Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be episode 134. Joining us this week is going to be a creative legend from my own childhood, Mr. Peter Chung, who is best known for writing and directing the animated series Aeon Flux, along with a feature on the Animatrix called Matriculated, amongst also working at Nickelodeon on the television show Rugrats. I've been following Peter's career since the early days of my own creative journey, and it's a total delight to have him here with us now. Peter and I have a very candid conversation about our own viewpoints on what it is to be creative and the foundations of what it is to use and work in the film medium. We discuss various aspects about Peter's outlook on how he likes to work and the work that inspires him most. This is a very interesting and thought-provoking episode that I hope you all enjoy. So here we go, everybody. Episode 134 with Peter Chung. Let's roll. What I wanted to do is kind of go all the way back to the origins a little bit, if it's okay, and talk about, you know, a little bit about your childhood and, and where you came from and kind of what has helped mold you. I mean, I read briefly and we had a little bit of in our talk that you traveled quite a bit as a child. And do you think that kind of had a interesting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a huge uh, effect on how I developed as an artist. The fact that my two older brothers were also artists, a pretty good point on my ability to uh, pursue what I wanted, which was um, from a very young age. I think I didn't realize that I had wanted to do this, that I was going to be able to do this, but I was always drawing and making up stories and characters from a very young age. Um, but um, I started making films um, in high school. And then I applied to go to CalArts, to the animation school there. And at the time, this was in the 70s. And uh, there really, it, you know, going to animation then wasn't really considered by a lot of people to be a career, a viable career. And if you mentioned that you wanted to study animation, like people, I mean, first of all, they asked you, well, what, what's animation? <laughs> Things are very different now. Like I, I go and I teach my students at USC and you know, everybody thinks that animation is a, is a very good career. It's a, it's a very thriving and, 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 and very, um, what's the word, vibrant field. Mm -hmm. But at, at the time when I was getting into it, um, like it was, it was on the, uh, it was on the edge of being a dead, of, of dying <laughs> as a form. Um, what was happening in, in the industry that was happening? Was it like a, a shift or a flux that was happening? The value, devalue of it or oversaturation? The, the old timers, the, the people who had, you know, been so active in the, in the fifties and earlier, let's say at Disney studios, um, they were getting old and they were retiring and dying and um, at the time, you know, Cal I don't know if your listeners know this, but CalArts was a school that was originally founded by Walt Disney. Yeah. The animation department was um, pretty much the, uh, their, their, what's the word, uh, the way they recruited new animators. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a real, uh, there was real talk about um Disney shutting down their animation. They, you know, they were putting out a film maybe every four years, I think. Yeah. 
Um, and even then, the films weren't doing very well. Um, but a lot of the students that I went to school with um, actually ended up being the, being the new generation that um, re revitalized the, the field. Um, it was a good time, actually, to, to get into the field because um, um, it was just, it was right then when uh, when I got out of school that things started to pick up again and uh, the animation industry started going again. Is that what it is? Yeah. Was it because it became more of a viable source of getting ideas across, or there was like a, a new kind of generation yeah. like yourself coming out with like new, fresh ideas and styles? Uh, you know, at the time in the early 80s and mid 80s, um, there were starting to appear many new uh, venues for animation. So, there, for example, home video was a new thing and cable television. And these were venues for animation that hadn't existed before. Yeah. Um, so people were watching animated films at home, uh, which they never did before. And so um, it turns out that uh, the films that people wanted to buy and wanted to watch at home were mostly animated films for their, for their kids. And animation became very popular on home video. And um, cable stations like Nickelodeon um, and later MTV, I mean, both of which I worked for, um, started producing their on original programming. This is a little, little later in the um, late 80s, um, early 90s. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that you're, you grew up with an artistic household. Did your parents also, were they creative as well, or just your brothers? My brothers were, um, they kind of broke the ground for me because uh, <laughs> they had both studied art in college before I, I did. So when it came around time for me to decide what school to go to and you know, what I was going to study, um, and I told them animation, I told my parents animation, there was, there was, <laughs> there was no resistance. Hmm. And there are your parents, were, did your parents support you or did you have any mentors? Well, they did. They, my, my, my parents were very supportive. And, That's awesome. and I, um, yeah, which is great. And, um, I, was making Super 8 animated films in high school already. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I uh, just I just knew that I was going to be able to do this as a career. I just it wasn't even uh, any question that um, I um, I only applied to one school out of, out of uh, high school. I, I applied to CalArts and that was it. I knew I was going to get in and I got in. Mm -hmm. Um, I went there for two years and got hired at Disney Studios. And at the time, um, any, anyone who was any good in school, um, if you didn't get hired by your second year, it meant that, that <laughs> it, it usually meant that the studios didn't want you. At sure. that point. They were, yeah, because there were so few people who were applying that um, um, if you showed any sign of any of any ability by your first uh, at the end of your first or second year, then you know they they hired you. So I was hired after my second year at CalArts, and, okay. and yeah, started working at Disney Studios. 
How was that feeling? That must have been pretty rewarding, huh? I mean, because it's been a... You, did you know quite early? I mean, you mentioned you had been making films in high school. These were eight, These are the Super 8 um, animation films that you're talking about? Yeah. These are, these are just like endeavors that you just took on yourself, creating your own worlds and stuff like that? Well, I had a, I had a friend in high school, and we were working on them together. Um, mm. Are you guys still friends? Um we i mean he's he went off and he's making documentaries films now hmm. uh, we still stay in touch um once in a while but um he's um um he's off running around in um southeast asia making documentaries <laughs> so I, cool. I don't i don't hear from him very much that's cool that he's still you know creating and stuff though and so you two would go and make your your films together, and that's kind of you know how did you come upon this? Because I mean, back then, if you think about, there wasn't like like you said, there wasn't a massive resource structure like there is now, say with the internet, YouTube, and all these kind of crazy amounts of resources out there. How did you come to know like the process of using the Super Eight to go about making your own animated features or little films, basically? Well, we looked at books um, and. The thing that really, um, the thing that really inspired me to realize it was possible was that there used to be these um, touring animation compilation programs that you that would show in the in the theater, and I remember seeing compilations of short films, and um, a lot of them uh, I saw had the credit Cal Arts at the end of them. And I looked into that and, um, you know, read up as much as I could from school catalogs and so forth um, about, um, and, and, you know, student films are not full-blown, you know, uh, productions using um, cleaned-up color artwork sometimes. Yeah. It, It made it, you know, seeing work that was done like that um, made it seem much more accessible. Sure. Because when you watch classical um, American animation, is that it's very the whole point of classical animation. And here we can go talking a little bit about the the academic side of this. Yeah. This is, what, this is what I teach. But the whole idea of classical say Disney style animation is that you're not supposed to see the technique is that you render the the um, handprint of the artist invisible so that you believe that the characters that you see on screen are actually living and breathing hmm. creatures that they're not animated that they're they're the idea is to imbue them with a sense of life and um, autonomy I mean it's all an illusion of course but um, it you know, in a way, um, I would say that I was probably more encouraged or um, inspired to be able to feel like I could do it by watching Japanese animation. Hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of animators entering the field now, is the fact that um, Japanese animation is much more, um, is much less about creating a seamless illusion of life then it's about using the um, expressive qualities of drawing. And so th- they don't make any pretense about the characters on screen being living 
breathing creatures. They're, they're very, um, uh, it's very modernist in that sense, in the sense that they're, they're um, completely willing to, you know, show and, 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 and sometimes more than just show, but highlight, you know, the fact that what you're looking at is drawn. Hmm. Um, and, um, I mean, there are, uh, I, I do know from listening to some of your other podcasts that there are some Japanese animated films that you're, that, that inspire you like, uh, Akira and, uh, Ghost in the Shell. Oh, but yeah. those, those are really the exceptions. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, but even, but even in those cases, um, um, there's the, um, the goal of the animation is not really focused on creating an, an illusion of life. Um, uh, so, you know, what it, is it, it you think? In the case of those films? Yeah. Let's just use like Akira as an example. Well, um, I mean, you know, I, Akira is a film that I have a lot of reservations about. I mean, I, I, I feel like it um, is, is using its technique in a way that maybe it's not fully conscious of in the sense that I think that it's trying to emulate the, um, the ability of classical animation to um, produce a smooth and, and fluid movement um, without really understanding, I think, um, what really drives actual um, classical American animation, um, which having worked, having spent a lot of time in Japan and, and, and worked um, in the Japanese system, um, it's funny how, um, how insular uh, both the, the Japanese animation culture and the American animation culture um, are in the sense that they're very, very knowledgeable and um, they care very greatly about their own traditions, but they're um, almost completely mm, unschooled or, or um, unaware of uh, the, the, the methods and sensibilities that drive them. Um, natively, hmm. no, I, I, I think that there's um, good and as bad aspects to both approaches. So um, you know, I mean, in my in my personal um, in my personal viewing habits, I end up watching a lot more Japanese animation than I do American animation. But it's not because of the animation; um, it's because of the filmmaking. Yeah, um, I once heard you say in an interview that you're not actually a massive fan of animation. You do enjoy it, but I think it's more of a, a process of, ex of expression. Am I right in that? Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I would put it this way. I'm not a fan of the process of animation. Yeah. That's what that was. Not, what it was. And, and I'm not that interested in the process of animation and, and what's been really surprising and kind of eye opening for me is um, discovering that probably most of the people working in the field, um, and not just in the animation, but I think in Hollywood in general, um, in, in, in the film industry, is that um, so many of the professional artists are 
if you ask them, they said they're motivated by the process. Um, and this is, is something that's always puzzled me because I never felt like I was motivated by the process. I, you know, the process to me is very boring and it's very technical and it's, it's drudgery. And I mean, I have to be interested in it, but it's not what motivates me. Hmm. What motivates me is 100% the result. Um, I, you know, I, I get very bored, um, listening to people going on and on about the process. Um, it's honestly not that interesting. It's, uh, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's, it's laborious and it's complicated. And I think that's why I think a lot of animators um, get fascinated with it and they get absorbed in it. But, um, you know, to me, it's just something you have to do in order to create a, uh, a worthwhile result. The means to the end, then, I guess, is more or less to you? Yeah, because that's all the, the audience cares about. The audience doesn't care about the process and you know they shouldn't i mean you know why should they do you think that needs to be a like a symbiotic relationship between loving the animation and also loving the final result the journey and the destination well it definitely helps if you can if you can enjoy the process i you know <laughs> i think yeah. part of the problem with me sometimes is that um i find it very difficult to work on projects that that um, where the where the subject matter doesn't interest me. Oh well, that's that's how I am too, and I think most anybody. I, it's weird that people can just bat a blind eye to that because yeah. Well, well, I I I think that's why people, you know, for that very reason, I think people, um, in order to work, they have to focus on the process because the because the content um, doesn't inspire them. That's true. A lot, of, a lot of what people find themselves working on. Blinded by the process so that they, you know, are interested in at least something because, yeah, it's it's a hard reality when the thing that you're working on just isn't really good. Yeah, I've had uh, a conversation with a, a guy, um, a director friend who, direct, who used to direct commercials, and he would always say, well, for him, it's always, always about the process. Hmm. and. I asked him, so if it's all about the process, then after your film is made, um, are you interested in sitting down and, and watching the finished product? And he says, oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, he's enjoying the journey rather than the destination. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it, it's actually, um, I mean, that's an extreme example of, you know, somebody just, 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 saying straight out that he, he, he's not interested in seeing the final result but but you know it's it's actually very prevalent yeah it is i mean you, I, I do it in my own career yeah you, you're really to push a lot of people you know mm -hmm. um and it's i think partly the reason why there's so much crap being made is that you know that they're films made by people who are just driven by the process and you know they're they're, they're not interested in the final result hmm. and it's um, a valid statement i think it's very valid yeah Ask, I have to ask somebody like that. Well, you know, if you're not interested in watching, then what? You know, <laughs> if anybody else is interested? Yeah, it's absolutely um, true. Um, and you know, it 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 actually angers me sometimes. You know, to hear people take that stance. Do you think that because it's it's kind of like a blinding light that people are are doing this and they're kind of 
Well, you know, I, th I think a lot of people in this business are, are motivated by things like, um, I mean, if you ask them, like, like for example, that guy, you know, um, he really loves um, the things that they love about the process is learning new skills and acquiring um, new experiences during, you know, during the process of making something. And, yeah. and so collaborating with other artists that they enjoy working with, things like that mm -hmm. are are the reasons they would cite as motivations. Um, all of which is fine. I, you know, I think that you know you should you should experience all that, but that shouldn't be your motivation for, for making films. Um, you know, in, the in, end. in your eyes, what is it? The inspiration? And this, uh, just to cut away, this is when we had our conversation over dinner for the first time we met. Um, we had such interesting conversations and. I really love the way that your mind thinks because you're thinking in completely different angles. And I, I just, um, I really, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, there's a lot of things. And I think a lot of things that you had told me through that talk, they resonated with me for at least a couple of weeks after that. And it kept sitting in my head and it kept biting at me, like, you know, opening my eyes to possible other realities of things that I might've, you know, possibly overlooked and thought. And that's why I thought it would be so great to have you here, not only because of what you've done, but also because you're kind of, reigniting certain things so i would love to talk a little bit more like as you're going into it about you know the the blind you know the blindness of the process that causes you know the final outcome to just well, it, it, you know it, it has a lot to do with your attitude towards uh your relationship with your audience hmm. and what i find especially in school and i think that maybe you know i suffered from this a little bit um when, uh, when i was starting out as well is that of course you think that your own um, special abilities and talents. I mean, you think of yourself as being um, capable, potentially, of, of, of doing anything. Um, I, I find this very commonly among uh, students, is that if you ask them, well, what do you plan on doing? And, you know, very often their answer will be, well, you know, I, 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 I could do anything. You know, I, I could do storyboards, I could do designs I, I could direct I could work on story and, and and usually if they say that they are capable of doing anything it means that they're not good at actually doing any one of those things mm. um, and like a jack uh, of all trade a master of none well not really I think in the case of people who are young and who are starting out mm -hmm. uh, they don't know any better because they've never, they haven't had the experience to know how difficult it is um, just to even master you know one part of it. Now you know, having said that, um, I had I entered the field wanting to wanted to do it all. Um, you know, to to write and to design and to good to, to be like that though, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say you got to try it, right? Well, it becomes a problem for I think for students I think because it's overwhelming. Um, to think that you have to, to be able to learn to do that all at once. Um, but anyway, what I was what I was getting what I was getting at actually go back a little is that um, your relationship to your audience is that um, very often I find artists who feel like they're entitled to an audience because they're an artist and they have talent. They have some kind of special ability which entitles them. Um, in other words, that if they've spent a lot of time working on a film, that 
um, the least an audience member can do is take the time to, to look at what they've done. And this is completely wrong. There's nothing, there's no amount of effort or time that you've spent on working on a project that um, requires anybody, any viewer, um, to look at what you've done. And that should be irrelevant. Um, whatever draws their interest should be uh, in the finished work. And when you present a work of yours to, to an audience or to a viewer, you're not doing them a favor, they're doing you a favor. Because they're taking time, their free time, and sometimes their disposable income, whatever they have left over after they've paid for things they need and, um, you know, time that they have left over, their leisure time. And they're giving it to you, and it's an act of trust. And you have to be able to live up to that trust. Um, and... You know, I, um, I've tried to instill that attitude to, to a lot of students. And to, I, I, it, it's been interesting. A lot of my students are kind of surprised <laughs> um, to hear it stated that way. But, mm -hmm. but um, I, I think it's, it's, it's really true, though. It's very applicable. And David Fincher said something quite similar to that, too, in one of his commentaries. Yeah. He says that you're 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 buying two hours of a complete stranger's time. You better make it worth it. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's funny because you know I, I even hear professors say say things like, "Well, this student, you know, he, so much effort and time went into it. You know, what we should do is um, you know, give him the courtesy of you know paying attention to what the student has done." And no, like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how much time you spent. You know, you know, if 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 what you've done, you know, has has no relevance or do, you know has no ability to move me or to inspire me, then you know, I don't I don't owe this person any any of my time. You know, there's, there's so many things out there that that are, that are um, competing for your attention. Sure. Um, that you know that, that that just you know that just doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, and, and, and outside of a school environment or even a professional environment, I think that um, it's kind of a rude awakening to realize that nobody really cares about anything unless, uh, about your process unless you unless what you've done is actually you know addressing something that is of inherent interest to them. Of course, you know it's not to say that you pander because um, it, you know it, it's a it's a it's a it's a fine line because what you, what you need to be able to do is remain true to yourself um, and offer the viewer a um, something personal and and um, uncompromised. Um, but this is where it's very important to to have some kind of mastery of craft because that's something that. You can't argue with. Um, what does it mean to you to be a master of your craft? Well, um, first of all, it has to do with being fully aware of uh, the what is it the um, the medium, the medium that you're using. 
Um, and I see very often cases of people who want to make films who haven't really thought very deeply about what film is. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I take a very um, narrow, I, I try to define it very narrowly. Um, and that, you know, a big, a big part of what motivates me to be a filmmaker is in um, really honing in on what it is that film is uniquely suited to doing as a as a narrative medium or as an expressive medium, um, as opposed to other other media. And by that I mean, you know, very often I see films, um, student films, or even you know, even commercial films that um, don't make full use of the the expressive specific expressive qualities of of, of film as a um, as opposed to say you know a, a movie or um, a short film that re relies too much on say um, li literary devices like narration or dialogue um, hold on a second so people very often talk about well the important um, the important thing is to use film as a visual medium and to me that's just part of it it's it's not really a visual medium as it is an experiential medium um, and um, very often I, I I guess I hear comments like people saying that um, they liked a particular film because it did such a good job of communicating visually without really going into, you know, why, well, so what? So it, it communicated visually. But to, to me, there is something that goes a little deeper than the, just the fact that you're, you're communicating visually and you're using a visual medium. I mean, there's something inherent about the fact of um, – communicating visually and but and, and and the way to think about that is that you're really conveying information through the senses it's a sensory medium as opposed to a symbolic medium which is what literature is um, and the reason why I think it's so compelling to to viewers is that we experience stories it's it's analogous to the way we experience events and stories in real life is that, is that information comes to us through our senses and um, generally speaking you know if things come to us through a string of words that what that means is that it's coming through a filter of somebody's interpretation because if, you know when somebody when somebody writes down a story or an event or an account of something in in a string of words um, obviously, it's a distillation, or it's a kind of um, you know, it's 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 one interpretation of the events. But the world is not made of words. The world is made of of sensations or um, raw experience. And what I think film should do and needs to do, and is most effective when it when it does do um, uh, it if it allows you to experience events 
the stories um, as raw as raw sensory input. Um, and and you know the reason why I stress that is because your um, the way your mind processes meaning is very different. Um, uh, also, when you're consuming film, or are we just talking about film as a medium and the way you're consuming it? Yes, yes, in the sense that you, you know, very often people make the argument that um, to read a story in a book is more involving. It requires you to use your imagination more. And if you and if you watch a story or maybe the same story on a film, it, it engages you less because um, you can be more passive. Um, I I think this is a big fallacy um, yeah. in the sense that you know what people usually are talking about when they say that a book re- requires you to use your imagination more. So what they're talking about is they're talking about physical things. We're talking about the way something looks, the way the setting is, um, the way a character looks and, you know, the sound of their voice and, and all of these things. Yes, you have to imagine those things in a book. But that's not necessarily a good thing because those aren't the important things. I mean, those things in the mind of the writer are not ambiguous. Um, <laughs> it's just that words are very, are very imprecise um, means of communicating physical things. Sure. Um, but... And those things can be spelled out very clearly in in, in a film. Um, I would say, like you know, when I'm, for example, I'm going through Stephen King's It right now, and yeah. I've seen the film too. Have you have you read the book or seen the film? No, I haven't. Okay, so but the thing I would say, and to kind of counter that though, is in my mind, the monster that's tailor fit to my own imagination is completely different from, let's say, the film director's adaptation. Um, and that's what you're talking about. Well, but. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not talking about an adaptation of a book. Okay. I think that if Stephen King were to make the film, mm-hmm. if you're the author of a story and, and you're making the film of that story, um, I think that you have a very specific idea of, 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 of what that thing is that you had tried to convey through a string of words. Mm-hmm. Um, the, let me finish what I started to say earlier, though, is that, is that those physical things are, um, are uh, require you to use your imagination to, um, to understand in, in the case of a book. But the things that are really important in a book are not the physical aspects of the story. It's, it's what are the characters thinking and feeling. Mm. Those things are very, or very often clearly spelled out in a book, but they're ambiguous. They have to be imagined in a film. Um, because you know the, fa- the fact that you can't go inside a character's head and describe what a character's thinking and feeling is often cited as um, a shortcoming of the film medium as opposed to as opposed to books. But it's actually it's 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 actually it's strength, and a good filmmaker recognizes that, uh, and you have to capitalize on that. And you know um, um, that's how you engage your audience. Um, so a, f- a, f- a film that requires no imagination on the part of the audience to imagine what a character is thinking and feeling 
because you know somehow the you know either the dialogue or the narration or the way it's directed and performed you know it leaves no room for you to um, make up your mind as a viewer. Um, I, I find movies like that very boring. I mean, I, it, it, you know, I tell I tell my students that um, the task of a director is not to pass judgment on the story or the characters. Um, you, um, the, the, I guess, the problem is that there, <laughs> there, there, there's so many cases. You know, maybe the majority of films that get made. Um, make it their mission to make sure that you um, have no room at all to be able to um, make up your own mind about what you're seeing, and people get used to that. People get used to, to but 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 that's not inherent in the medium of film. It's just the way people are using it. Is it pushing opinions and agendas? Is that what you're talking about? Um, in some cases, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it operates in different ways. You know, a lot of films, um, for example, um, dictate how you're supposed to feel about this character or that, that character by making this character somebody you hate and this, this other character somebody that you love. I find that films that I really enjoy allow you the breathing room to decide for yourself. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think Michael Mann's yeah. Heat is a good example of that. Have you seen Heat before? Yeah. He 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 puts up the sides for you, and then you decide. I feel well, like you know. Honestly, I, I I'm not a big fan of that film myself. <laughs> this is going to get us into a bunch of fun spider webs because we had a lot of fun talks about many different films and completely different tastes. But uh, you know, for me, I'm I'm I love. I love a good debate and a conversation about the art of things in which I love and enjoy. And, and we have really interesting different tastes on certain things. I think sometimes we align and sometimes we definitely don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, heat for me, I mean, that's one example of the film that I use. That's kind of a film that allows you to kind of make your decisions. But, um, yeah, I think, it, I think if anything, that film, uh, I think, um, was a, to, to me, it felt a little forced in trying to, um, trying to be sympathetic towards characters who are, you know, morally reprehensible. Actually, who are killers and, and thieves, and you know, trying to trying trying to humanize or try to try to allow us to empathize with them. You know, whereas I just um, I, I felt like um, I didn't buy it in that case. <laughs> what's a What's an impressive film that you've seen that's kind of stuck with you? recently see anything stuck with you recently very recently there's not a lot <laughs> yeah i know we we, <laughs> we we can i know we had this conversation when we met but um you know a, a film that i continue to, to think about oh no don't say it <laughs> don't do it you're opening it up already <laughs> okay well no yeah. you go ahead this is this is totally fine this is actually great i think this will be a lot of fun well, the, the reason i remember the reason why we, we talked about it to begin with is you actually worked on prometheus that's correct yeah um, you're, and you're a huge fan of that film yeah i love that film i think it's a great film yeah it's, it's very interesting and uh, i know you're a huge fan of alien you know you did a whole podcast or two, I, I, I love alien yeah um, and you know I love Alien too, and I saw it. You know I saw it when it first came out, you know, opening weekend. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, but um, but I actually think Prometheus is a much better film. Yeah, let's um, let's get into that too because I'm really curious about this. 
and I should, and and I think um, I think um, well, what what I found interesting about that movie in particular is that um, everybody that I know, like I would say across the board, who are my peers, who are my age, um, love that film, absolutely love it. They think it's great. And then, um, like a lot of my students and people who are younger, they hate it. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that too, and I'm like wondering if it's the psychedelics that you guys took or something. I don't know what's going on. So, <laughs> but we, you had some really good, valid points and some interesting perspectives that I didn't really think about. And we also like we talked about the prestige and how you didn't like that film, and 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 how like I, that's one of my favorites too. So, but again, I think it's really great when we can talk about dissecting it. I should have watched Prometheus before we did this talk. I knew we were going to talk about it and now I don't have enough ammo because I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> so now I won't be able to like be able to, to go, well, what about that? And what about that? But I know, you know, I honestly, after we had our talk and I sent you the honest trailer, you know, which had all the plot holes and all those things and a couple other pieces of reading well, in uh, your, well, uh, one thing I would say about it. And I, I would, I, I, as a general principle is I think that um, you can make an intelligent movie about, stupid characters and i don't have any argument with the with you know the complaint that the characters in the movie are you know act irrationally um yeah <laughs> and illogical I, and illogically yeah i I, compl- I have no problem agreeing with that i mean you know it's, okay. it, it's um but that's but that's not the point is that like i think you can i think that um the um, the story of a movie is not the movie. So I think this is where a lot of people have a, have a bit of confusion. I think that what, and maybe this is a generational thing because I notice very much that, um, younger viewers tend to be more literal minded. And, um, I think that, um, younger audiences, one, one thing that, constantly um disappoints me is finding out that a lot of young viewers just haven't been exposed to a lot of different kinds of movies mm. um, and that's not to say that they haven't watched a lot of movies but that's what we're here to do here and that's why i want to talk about other films that you would like people to watch and pay attention to and, and, and focus on besides prometheus <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm trying to tie this together because I think the kind of movie that that is is not, it's not. Uh, um, if you try to look at it literally in a literal-minded way, then um, you're going to find a lot of problems with it. Um, but um, when I say that people haven't exposed themselves, young people haven't exposed themselves to a lot of different kinds of movies. Um, I mean, you know, these days I think you know. People watch more movies than ever, but um, they're within a very narrow range of 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 uh, a type of of film. Um, so when you watch Prometheus, you don't get you don't look for the linear, the logic that it doesn't separate your connection to the story, the characters, and it's not about the story. What is Prometheus to you as you watch it and think about well, it and get inspired it, by it? Well, it's a modern myth. I mean, you know, it's mythology, which sure. is. Um, given away by the title, actually, but um, um, it's um, it's completely metaphorical. But if you if you um, are not interested in those themes that it's dealing with, then you're not going to be interested in the, in the film. And that, you know that's fine. If that you know if that's just not 
some, if those ideas aren't the things that interest you, then then the film isn't even you know even if you um, even if you approach it metaphorically, you know it's still not going to um, affect you. Um, but um, I've always been interested in questions of uh, geology and um, I, it, you know it, what what. what what really blew me away about that film is that, you know, the fact that it takes on a subject, which I don't think I've ever seen taken on by a big budget, you know, um, Hollywood movie. Yeah. It really got behind it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, whether, whether it was really Scott's intention or not, you know, it's, it's another question. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but, um, that, I think in many cases people end up making films, you know, in spite of their intentions, um, um, as opposed to, um, because of them. But, um, 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 what was I saying? Um, talking about the risk of Hollywood taking to make such a religious type film, I guess. Because it's a very subversive film, actually. Um, um, in the sense that it's, um, really um it's really an anti-faith film and I, you know I've, I've heard people and i've read people complain about the film being um trying to promote religious faith but you know it, I, I i i i'm baffled by the fact that anybody could could read that into it because it's it's actually the exact opposite you know it's it, it's actually a film about the the um, the peril or the folly of pursuing faith, um, um, because you know the, these characters who go on this journey of faith, they you know it, it turns out that the thing they believed in is actually quite monstrous. Yeah, um, and the um, and I used to be a believer. I used to, I, you know I grew up as a as a as a church going Bible reading Christian. And so these themes resonate with me very deeply. But um, okay, I was going to ask you that too. Do you still practice your faith, or are you? No, no. I mean, no, I gave that up a long time ago. Um, but I, but I used to actually argue that you know the very point <laughs> um, that I think you know forms the premise of, the, of 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 that story, which is that um, life has no purpose unless you know we we believe that we were created. You know, I used to make that argument myself. You know, when I when I used to be um, when I used to be a Christian, which is that um, uh, uh, we have to we have to search for our purpose by um, having a relationship with our Creator. Hmm. Um, um, what is our purpose? Do you think now? You, you're talking about now? Yeah. What's your yeah, viewpoint our purpose, on our purpose now? Our, our purpose is what we make of it. Sure. So manifestation? Because, I'm sorry? So it's our manifestation? Well, I mean, the, the, this is the thing is that, you know, I think that people people ask the question, well, what is the meaning of life or what is the purpose of life? And mm-hmm. they get hung on the question of life, of trying to, trying to define what life is. But... That's the wrong question. What you have to ask is, what is meaning? Hmm. Uh, so, so b- before you can ask, before you can answer the question of what is the meaning of life, you first have to ask the question, what is the meaning of meaning, before that question even 
means anything. Mm. And meaning does not exist as its own thing in the universe. Meaning only um, exists because there are conscious beings to whom things mean something. Um, And that's subjection then, right? Because your your yeah. reality is completely yeah. altered yeah. than mine. Yes, consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, and so. it's an altered consciousness too, and it's very subjective, and it's hard to really trace. and And that's what's interesting about the medium of film. And you talk about mastery and the um, your, your viewpoint on it, and yeah. getting a group of people to go through an experience. It's quite interesting. Well, yeah, I mean. Uh, that's really what motivates me. So, so, so bring this all back um, to what we were talking about earlier, which is that, um, yeah, what really motivates me um, in wanting to make films, but also in when I go out and watch a film, what I look for, the experience that I'm looking for, is something that's going to, um, I mean, this is maybe a high way of saying it, but you know, expand, expand consciousness or alter consciousness. Because I, I think that that's what the purpose of art is. It's not to deliver a particular political or moral message. Um, I think once you start doing that, you know, you're not making art anymore, you're making propaganda. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is what a lot of movies are, you know. Well, you look at the state of politics, too. I mean, we're in a weird state of, like, imposed fear and politics and stuff. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, it, People have this, well, this is another thing that always comes up in, in discussions in school or even in studios working with uh, my colleagues, which is that um, um, there's, this, there's this strange dichotomy that people have set up between um, escapism and, which is another way of saying um, our movies um, is the purpose of movies to entertain or is it to deliver some kind of message? And for me, the answer is neither. I mean, that's, you know, why are those the only two choices? Um, but for some reason, people have it in their minds that, um, that it has to be either one or the other, and if it's not one, then then therefore, I mean, I I, I even had a conversation once with a with a producer friend of mine who's we were talking about this, and he said um, I told him that I wasn't interested in delivering any kind of moral messages in my work, and his reaction was surprise. He said, no, "I'm surprised to hear hear you say that, Peter." Um, and it wasn't until later on, after I went home. Um, that I realized what he meant because I realized that when I said that I wasn't interested in delivering moral messages, he automatically assumed that therefore I was interested in making escapism. Um, mm-hmm. His mind immediately made that assumption because if it's not one, it's the other. And um, I had to call him back later and said, is that what you thought? And, <laughs> um, because I'm not interested in doing that either. Not to say that there's anything wrong with escapism. I mean, I you know I enjoy escapism, but um, you know, honestly, I'd rather watch something that's purely escapist than something that's trying to trying to preach some kind of moral message. But uh, but um, but no, I mean, art is not about 
escapism or trying to trying to teach anything. It's 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 really about um, exercising the mind's capacity to discover meaning in things because you know that's I think what makes us human. And that that's that's what um, I mean. In in a way, I think if you if you say that, people might think that that's something esoteric. Um, and they might say, well, why, you know, why would I be interested in, in doing that? But, you know, that's actually, you know, it drives everything that we do is, um, the fact that we try to find meaning in events. Um, and, you know, I'm not just talking about literature or stories. I'm talking about real life. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's this thing that causes you to make decisions in your life, you know, whether it's, um, you know, which, which, uh, political candidate you're going to, you, you're going to support, you know, sure. to, you know to, to, to what kind of, uh, life you're going to live. Um, do you not seek meaning in life? Uh, Ash, that's what I'm saying is that, that you do that. <laughs> no, but do, do you, or do you not? Ash, I, I don't think that you're understanding what I'm saying. Sure, tell me again because I'm getting lost. Because that's the point. Yes, like it, that's that's essentially what everybody does. But you know, whether you, whether you you're conscious of it or not, that you're constantly doing that. Applying um, your own personal meaning to things. Yes, yes. You're 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 finding meaning in things. And that's what the purpose of art is to you. It's doing that in a conscious way, yes. Um, making it, um, I, you know, obviously I'm not saying that everybody has to agree with this point of view. but, no, but It's I, your own I, personal point of view. I think everybody understands that. Well, it's not just mine. I think there, there, there are a lot of artists as well who, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole project of, um, of semiotics. Um, is, um, is, uh, what you know? It's it's funny. Um, the language <laughs> about art uh, has it's, it's always changing. But but you know, at the time when I was studying at CalArts, like that, everything was about um, signs and meaning. Um, and maybe, maybe that's had an influence on the way I think about these things. But yeah, I think so. I mean, of course, right? Your experiences. Do you think your experiences in life define you? That you're seeking a meaning throughout your journey here on Earth. I, I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. Like th- going through those processes oh, yes, and stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, of course. Of course, they, they do. I, I think of that. I like to think of myself as being at least that self-aware. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be good, right? So what are your thoughts? I mean, going into some really interesting things, and I've um, read a couple of things too, little interviews and little things, and um, I'd love to talk to you about dreams, what your thoughts are on dreams and what that what a dream really is to you. Is that an altered state? or is, is what, what, what do you think of dreams? What are your theories and thoughts on them? Well, it depends. You know, I, I have uh, um, dreams used to be a huge source of inspiration for me. 
um, in the sense that um, what I what one thing that really drives me in my art is again both in in creating as well as consuming it, but. I'm always trying to capture something that's elusive and uniquely personal to me um, in the sense of trying to externalize something that's purely internal. Um, and dreams, I think, are the best manifestation of that in the sense that, you know, once you wake up from a dream, there's, there's no trace, there's no, there's, there's no evidence. Um, and all that remains is a memory that's, you know, that's, unique to yourself and there's no way that you can in any way um convey you know the the vividness of it and the importance of it at the time when you're experiencing it somebody else um but i think that um when i when i see a film that really works not necessarily just a film but you know a, a painting or a graphic novel or you know or anything really um is that you really feel like you're sharing in the artist's dream. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think it's a, um, it's the particular province of um, a visual medium to be able to do that because it, I don't know how it is for anybody else, but for me, my dreams are mostly nonverbal. I, I, I remember very little in terms of, any dialogue in my dreams. Mm. Um, and I get a very strong sense of, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but very often I find myself unable to speak in dreams. That like, I have some kind of speech paralysis. And, and, and sometimes like I'm trying to say something, but I can't. Um, mm. I used to experience this a lot more <laughs> um, when I was younger. But... Um, um, there's very often a sense of communicating non-verbally with with other other people within your dreams, um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question. But um, no, it's it's interesting. No, I mean, because I mean, me personally, I, I I dream very seldomly, and when I do, I. I I forget them quite easily. And I think it could possibly be that I, I work too much and then I'm just, um, expelling all my energy. And by the time I do go to sleep, um, I just don't really have like, um, a, a, a trace memory of what the dream was about. I know I do dream, but I just, it's like, I can't, it's like, um, a memory that's fleeting, you know, like, well, that's, the, you, well, well, go, go back, go back. Um, <laughs> to our conversation earlier, that's what Prometheus was to me. It's like when I saw that movie, I, you know, I felt like I was experiencing somebody else's nightmare. Hmm. Um, and which is the way I think you should approach a film like that, which is um, I was saying earlier about students or young people not being exposed to a lot of different kinds of films. But to me, that film, I mean, don't look at it literally. You know, to, to me, it's a film that's more like um, Juliet of the Spirits or a Fellini film or a David Lynch film. Um, it's not a hard, hard science fiction film at all. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's much more like um, a, piece of, a, piece, a piece of mythology like, um, I don't know, like uh, The Odyssey or um, 
Jason and the Argonauts, except in a modern setting, in a, in a, in a science fiction setting. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and, and it just works on that level. And, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, there's so much going on in that film. Um, um, you know, it, 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 it's been inspiring actually to see a lot of Ridley Scott's recent films. Another film that I really like, um, in a way, I mean, in, in a, in a way that's, um, I'm a little ambivalent about it. Have you seen The Counselor? Yeah, you, you uh, mentioned it, and I hadn't seen it since. No, I haven't watched his film, Counselor. Um, it's, I, I think it's an amazing film. I, and and um, it's, um, it, it, I'm not sure it's a film I ever want to watch again, because it's, it's actually very depressing, and, and, and uh, it's, 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 it's a very unpleasant viewing experience. But I remember after having watched it that, you know, I, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Hmm. Um, I just know, so watched a film I would recommend you checking out called uh, Snowtown Murders. Have you seen that? No, I've heard about it. I've heard you talk about it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure, though. You're, I'm still trying to place your taste, and I'm still trying to figure it out. You become an anomaly to me sometimes. So I think I know what you're <laughs> on to, and then I'm like, wait, what? Look, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm wide open in terms of you know how I – how I approach films because well, I, don't, I think you have to. I don't. I don't assume that all films are meant to um, work the same way, and oh, so I don't. Not, I, yeah. I just have to apply the same uh, standards of criticism to different films because I understand that different films are made by different people for different reasons, and you watch them for different reasons. Yes, in and different settings and different times and elements and all that stuff. Yes, it's completely, it's completely wrong to um, apply the same standards of. of critique um to to works that you know are are made for different intents yeah we talked did we talk a little bit about um i think you probably wouldn't like it now i think about your um concern and fear of hidden agendas but there's a show called um black mirror which i talk about and have you watched that show yet yeah yeah i've watched all those episodes it's a bit of an aesop fable and you know the uh insurgence of uh technology in our common culture and i think it's quite interesting i really like it but i love the idea of just the what ifs and i'm a huge fan of i grew up with um twilight zone and you know those yeah. kind of like modern day fables basically which is a yeah. lot of fun and um yeah what are your what are your thoughts on those you'll enjoy those yeah I, I did enjoy them quite a bit um some more than others but uh, i thought um i really liked the the tone of them. Yeah. The, the first episode in particular, like you, it's really hard to tell That's great. How, how seriously you're supposed to take it. I mean, is this, a, is this a farce or is it, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's very dark and, 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 and very funny at the same time, which is yeah. something I, I really appreciated about it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very uncompromising in that, in that sense. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, which is what I prefer to see in terms of, um, humor. I, I, I very rarely want to see something that's just an outright comedy. Um, um, but I, but I, I do think that a sense of humor is, is, is critical to, to, um, to any kind of, uh, film, especially animation. Do you um, try to, are you conscious of it when you're making your animation or your work? Are you trying to think about how to infuse that into the life of your 
creations? Um, you know, I'm not one of these people who, you know, I, I, cause I know a lot of people in this business who they say that the greatest reward or the greatest thrill they, they ever get from making films is being in a theater with an audience and getting them to laugh. And I never really understood that because that, you know, I, I, I don't think it's that hard and I don't think it's that rewarding just to get a laugh. Um, so, um, I guess the answer to that question is no, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't approach that in a deliberate conscious way. Do you, um, when you're when in I, the group of friends and tell, are you telling a joke? Do you get gratification off of that personal interaction of making your friends laugh? It's not that important to me, honestly. No. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe, <laughs> um, 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 yeah, I, 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 I mean, um, I'll just put it this way. I mean, yeah, it's nice, nice if you can do it. And, um, you know, my students in, in class often tell me that, you know, things I say are very funny, um, which always surprises me, but, um, but I think that things very often, I mean, the things that are funny are, um, they have something in them um, that are innately and unexpectedly funny. Um, I, I think those are the things that I find. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, useful in 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 in, in making something, in, in telling a story, and finding humor. Yeah. Have you uh, ever Have you ever tried? Um, uh, isolation tank. You ever tried that? Yeah, I have. Do you, how often have you tried it? How many times? Um, maybe twice, maybe once. I don't know. It's been a long time ago. But, um, why, why are you asking that? Uh, I'm just, you strike me as a really heavy thinker ever since we met your, your, it feels like your mind is racing. You're constantly, you know, just plugging away with your thoughts. And I was just curious as to, have you had well, an experience like that where you've kind of been isolated with your mind so much that it silences itself? Cause that's what it did for me. Um, well, I don't think that's had any kind of influence. I, I, I think that I gravitate towards that experience just because that's, I, I seek out that kind of environment for, to be creative. Um, and for that reason, I've always found it very difficult to work in a, in a bustling studio environment and really truly being creative. I don't feel like I, it's easy to access something that's really like a dreamlike state, like I was talking about. Yeah. Um, I tend to work best at night when it's quiet and everyone's asleep. Um, and I feel like um, it, it, it's what I've been... Um, I'm grappling with very much now is um, trying not to rely on on formulaic ways of being creative, and um, it's funny. I, I you know I can I can I can tell when I'm being creative and when I'm just doing something mechanically, and I encounter people that I work with, and they seem never ever to be able to access that 
um, that part of their brains where they're able to really truly be creative, you know, or they try to get to it by some kind of um, some kind of trick of um, of process. What of, is it to be truly creative to you? What is that? Unencumbered, uninhibited. Well, when you're feeling really, when you when you're reaching a state of true creativity, you really are um, flying blind. Like you feel like there's no, um, um, there are no markers. You're you're in completely unknown territory, and it's very frightening. I think I, I think a lot of artists are are afraid. To let themselves go there, because they're afraid of um, appearing foolish, or you know, you know, and 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 that's a real that 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 is actually a real risk. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, um, anytime you do something really truly creative, um, you are running the risk of um, making a fool out of yourself. But that's what makes it exciting from the point of view of um, an audience. Yes, and. Um, but, but so often, I think that artists um, never are willing to go there precisely for that reason. I mean, I guess it's probably kind of hard to do it all the time, right? Or do you think it's possible to ride that kind of risking um, altered state of creative? I think, there are, I think there are some artists who are able to, to be that way, um, um, you know, they, they have enough discipline that they understand um, that if you're not in that state, if you're not in that zone, that you kind of go, well, what's the point, you know? Because <laughs> um, that is the entire point. Who are those artists to you, those creatives to you? Who are some artists or creatives that you admire or look up to? You know, I think that the best example for me is somebody who consistently astonishes me in that way is a there's a comic book artist named um, Kazuo Umezu um, he's a Japanese obviously Japanese comic artist um, but his work is constantly um, taking me <laughs> to places I didn't expect um, what has he created He's incredibly prolific, and he produces work in all different kinds of genres. Um, but um, um, he—I'm trying to think of what might be. Um, it's, it's funny because, in spite of how popular Japanese comics have become, his work is relatively unknown um, here. Um, not anymore. No, okay. What's one, of, what's one of the books that I should check out of his? Well, if you can find them in English, I don't know if you can. Oh. Uh, but there's a... Um, Do you read Japanese? No, I don't. But I, I did read some of his stuff translated into Korean, and I do, I do speak Korean. Okay. Um, but I'm sure that there are some... Um, there probably are some fan translations out there, but um, 14 is one of them. Uh, my name is Shingo. Um, Makoto Chan. Um, he did a series of horror. Uh, he, is it Uzumaki? Is that the one? Did he do that one? Uh, no, that's somebody else. Okay, because uh, I have that. It's like similar work. Yeah. 
So um, baptism is one that um, um, it's one of his best. Anyway, Kazuo Umezu is next. Yeah, this is interesting. As, yeah, I'm looking at his art now. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very expressive. When, um, you're, when you're drawing and creating, when you're in that blissful state of pure creativity, as we were just talking about, what's typically going through your mind? Is it that risk-taking? You know, like for somebody of your ability and your, say, you know, I know you didn't want to talk about your career much, but your career, you know, creating icons you know developing such ips as like aeon flux for example which is what you're kind of you know that's what you're kind of known for i imagine and many other things but for the general american population i imagine that's probably it how do you you know evolve past that and is that the the risk taking that you're talking about and going past that and and where does that take you you know are you you know is it about making trying another media you know out or is it what is that for you I'm, I'm sorry, what was the first part of that question? Uh, um, I messed what, it. I, I asked you like a bunch of different questions in one, but what I was saying is when you're going and creating now, what is it about your creative process now that allows you to kind of take those risks? Because like, you know, like I said, you've had tremendous success as you've gone through from my perspective. Well, like, well this is the, okay. Okay. I, I, I guess I have an answer for that. It's, it's um, you know, it's different depending on what the project is. Um, so, you know, sometimes I find that I can, um, I, I guess this is more of a recent thing, um, but I, I did a project for Cartoon Network called Fire Breather, um, which was a, it was, it was a full feature length thing. This is the first full feature length thing that I, I've done. And it was based on a comic book. Um, and I didn't write the story or create the characters, but I needed to find a way of making it my own, like as a way of expressing my creative voice through it. And um, I found the experience very gratifying, um, in, in spite of you know it, it not being something that I created in 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 the way that I executed it. And I think that for director. Um, it's finding a particular way of um, presenting a story, um, which has to do with, um, you know, I, I think I think a good director is able to make any film that he makes um, something personal, um, regardless of his relationship to the underlying subject matter. Um, just by the way you, um, just by the, the way you decide to organize the material, you know, and, and, and to find its particular, um, uh, specific meanings. Um, having said that, you know, I, at the same time, <laughs> um, it's, it, it is a, it is a, Compromise. I mean, it's a uh, um, you know, and very often, you know, I, it, the reality is that you have to you have to sometimes work that way. But um, the problem, I think, is that you can become too enamored of that to the point where you start to lose 
um, your sense of who you are. So um, I, I know I'm, I'm being a little vague about this, but you know, for example, you can you hear people like um, um, Joss Whedon, for example. Like he, he talks about the Avengers movie being a very personal work, and and it, and it, and it's very strange in a way to hear somebody say that about uh, uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, but but, <laughs> um, but I can understand where he's coming from in the sense that um, um, there's um, uh, you know and I, I'm assured that it feels that way to him, but I think that maybe for everybody else it's a little <laughs> mystifying because you know it seems anything like it's anything but. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing it, so I can have a, an educated opinion upon it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but that's what I mean by you know it it's. It, it is a danger to um, become too enamored of that sure. um, as, as the source of your artistic um, gratification, um, the, the way you execute something. Um, um, so, um, you know, I would say that... Um, me, you know, because I, I can look at Firebreather and say, yes, this is this is a film by me. It's a, it's a Peter Chung film, even though, you know, I, it's not my idea. It's not my story, any of that. Um, but I still feel like it absolutely has my stamp on it. Having said that, um, yeah, it's not, for me, it's not enough. Um, it's, it, it's, and maybe for some people that's good enough, but, you know, it's, Having had the experience of you know making work that was completely um, and 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 you know it's funny because a lot of people look at Jan Flux and they think um, why does anybody think that there's anything personal about this? <laughs> Whereas um, um, it is very personal to me. I mean, I, I mean, I look at that as a very very personal piece of work, and, and I don't know how much of it you've seen. I've seen uh, it all. Yeah. You've seen all of the episodes, like all the half-hour episodes. Yeah, I haven't watched all of them recently, but I've followed every every one of them. I've been following your career for a while. You know, as I mentioned when we first met, I mean, um, yeah, you're you were significant influence on me creatively as a developing artist. Well, that, well, that actually raises some questions for me. Like, in what sense? So, so what, what, what in particular? Because I, I, I get all different kinds of responses from from fans and from from fellow um animators sure i think it's it's multi-layered for me it's not just one thing or the other um in the beginning i'm a visual person of course so of course when i first had seen it um this was you know back when mtv was a completely different entity and seeing this was um shocking the difference of the voice that you're giving the character and the style. So in the first, as a child of just being inspired by the visual elements, it really captivated my imagination and it really kind of pulled me along. Um, and then later on as a grown up, and, you know, having thought a lot about stuff, I started thinking and seeing these interesting underlying, you know, impressions of, um, these little hidden themes and, and interesting things that you're I, that I was pulling from it, and these are more, I guess, obviously personal opinions and things. But um, you know, I can just remember trying to go back to 
um, going back to some of the very early ones, the, the one where she would rebirth basically. And then there would be that massive bloodshed that would just happen with all these multiple, um, uh, the bodies that were piling up of all the soldiers. And then just having that viewpoint of the, the, the viewpoint of the soldier itself and, and interesting things like that, thinking about looking at things from a completely different vantage point and stuff. So it changed for me and it's constantly changing as every piece of art does, you know, like I might watch say Prometheus one time and have an altered position on it and then watching it again. And, and it, it's, you know, as you evolve, so does the art, I think personally. And, um, so yeah, that's, you know, okay. Well, um, yeah, because I get all different kinds of responses. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, it's a very, the way you created it was to allow many different responses. I imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 and, and and so so I shouldn't I shouldn't complain about that fact. I mean, you know, I, I actually I, I, it actually um, gratifies me quite a bit. But but the one that always surprises me though is um, when people. Um, I used to get this a lot, which was that um, people would say, "Well, there's no story." And there's a huge story. Yeah, I think uh, so. And. Um, and people used to say that about the shorts because they didn't have any dialogue or any text. Um, and um, maybe it has to do, you know, animation people are the worst when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah, well, because they're process people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, they're, so, they're so focused on looking at the animation or the drawings. Yes. That they can't see what's right in front of their eyes, which is, um, you know, story and the soul of it a series of very carefully orchestrated and thought out events i mean it's it's, it's, it's kind of funny when i hear people say that um like I, how I, how do they think that something like that comes about do they think that i just like start from frame one and just draw <laughs> into my head yeah yeah that's i mean that's really quite weird but i can imagine you'd get that response from people i get the same response from have you seen Samsara or um, Kianaskati or um, yeah. Baraka? Yeah. And yeah. I've and I share that quite a bit with. And it's so weird to get the response from people that go, "It's great, but there's no story." I'm like, "What do you mean there's no story? <laughs> like, um, are you not paying attention? Are you not watching this?" I, I, I guess it's more or less it's a way that people construct their opinions as they watch and go well, through having, an experience. Having said that, um, story is not all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> um, in the conventional sense, um, and the, the the approach to it that I take is that story is not the content of a film. And a lot of people, I think, have you know, they make the mistake in thinking that it is. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, story is another aspect of form. Um, the content of a film lies in the. It, it lies actually in the relationship between the form and, between the um, between the story and the way it's presented. So you know when people people ask, well, what is this movie about? Um, they're, us they're usually what they're asking is, well, what was the story about? But what a movie is about, what what that movie story is about, or really, or, you know, in the case of good movies, they're, they're, they're two different things. Um, and this applies very much in the case of Prometheus, since we, you know, since we've talked about that. And I, I think that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to get you, like, a Prometheus t-shirt or something. <laughs> um, 
Um, wear it around all the time. Um, <laughs> I survived Prometheus. <laughs> um, you know, before I forget, you know what's really beautiful about Prometheus is, is the, the, the battle at the end between the engineer and the giant facehugger. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that is such an epic scene. It's an epic battle um, that's loaded with subtext. Um, and I just love the idea that somewhere out there on another planet, there are two alien creatures fighting over the fate, fate of the earth and we'll never know about it. Um, cause that's what's happening. So, um, like, you, you know, there are all these movies that come out every year, um, um, where there's these scenes of these cataclysmic apocalyptic battles over the fate of the earth. Like every superhero movie <laughs> has them. Every yeah. Transformers movie, um, Independence Day. And there's just, you know, um, humans or superheroes trying to defend the earth from complete destruction. And there's, there's, there's these huge 20 minute long, 30 minute long battles, epic. I would say you, you can keep all of that. Just just give me that last, that very brief battle between the engineer and the and the facehugger at the end of Prometheus, because <laughs> it's the same thing. I mean, it's it's because <laughs> and the, the fact that he was able to to um, convey all of that um, in a scene that's that that that's that's very intimate. Um, and it, you know, almost, um, I mean, watching that in the theater was very much like, um, seeing somebody film the inside of my brain when I was dreaming. Hmm. Interesting. That's that's what it felt like. (laughs) Do you, do you like film? do Do you like Carl Sagan's contact? What do you think of that? The movie? Well, the, the movie or the story, the book. The, the yeah. Zemeckis movie? Mm-hmm, yeah. I hate that movie. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring it up because to me it's very similar in terms of theme. Yes, that's um, why I brought it up. To Prometheus in the sense that it's about a, <laughs> a, a female scientist who has lost her father and who receives some kind of message. Yes. Telling her to go to another planet. <laughs> I mean, you know, Sound it, familiar? <laughs> the setup is exactly the same, but it, you know, it, you just love the octopus battle it, at the end. That's but, it. Just but, be honest with me. <laughs> but the approach to the subject matter is so completely different. I mean, the, in, I mean, I haven't read the book um, by Carl Sagan, but in, as far as the movie goes, I mean, it, it's all about affirming one's faith in um, encountering the the other, the alien. You know, and 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 discovering uh, you know the fulfillment of you know what 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 we aspire to, and of course you know in the case of the movie it takes the form of her dead father. Yeah. Um, you should read. You should read it. Yeah. Read the book. Are you saying? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's a pretty huge book. I just do the audible, but yeah. yeah in regards to that, I I love that idea though personally for me as a i love that approach personally well, well, let me ask you what, what what so what did you do you did you like the movie yeah 
Contact, I love Contact. A terrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> you cannot tell me Prometheus is better than Contact. <laughs> but I mean, that's the beauty of films. I think you know. So because it's you know I it I, I find it 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 really it flatters the audience in a way that I think is unearned. Um, you know, and and, and I, I I thought it was very. Um, um, I, I, the, the part that really bothered me the most was um, when um, I think the Tom Skerritt character, I'm trying to remember, it's been such a long time since I saw him, um, gives a lecture to Jodie Foster about the fact that um, people don't always get what they deserve. Yeah, um, yeah. And when he goes and he goes right in. Uh, spoiler it, alerts for those of you who haven't watched Contact. <laughs> Earmuffs. She deserves it more than he does, but but the world doesn't work that way. Yeah. And I, was, and I was thinking, this is exactly how I feel about him getting the Academy Award for Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think that's the thing I love about films too, and the medium of it is that um, it's great to talk. It's it adds. Um, it's it, that's the thing I think is beautiful about it is the subjective opinions of others, uh, whether you agree with them or not, and then you know, getting deeper into it, and then you know, we're in completely different places of our lives. We have completely yep. we have completely different paths in, in our lives and different opinions and the neurons well, in our brains Ash, fire. Ash, Ash, I'm going to stop you right there. Cause, cause, cause you know, you're starting to sound very, um, uh, cliched. Cause <laughs> I, I, I actually, actually, I, I actually resist that, that line of, um, that line, because I, I do believe that there are, there are, um, how shall I say? It's not all subjective, um, you know. And 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 this is something I've always struggled with in in my class, um, which is that um, there are uh, critical standards. Um, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, though I think really indefinitely, you know. Well, um, y- you know. Um, up to a point, up to a point, but we have to be able to say that good, um, that good and bad exist in art. It's not all subjective. Um, um, and, and I know that deep down you believe so too, because, because of the amount of attention that you pay to you, to, um, improving your craft that, you know, you, you believe there is such a thing as an objective, uh, measure of 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 good art versus bad that's so internal for me though personally that's defined by my own taste and indefinitely this is the thing that i don't find that you know whether whether it is or not you know in in reality i i think it this is the challenge that that i've always had um that i that i continue to struggle with in, in in teaching is that um it's not a very useful attitude to take if you're either learning or teaching, um, if, you, if you're if you're an art student or you're or you're trying to teach art, I mean, you you can you can d- discover or um, did you go to art school? Uh, I did go to college, and um, it was very casual art college. Yeah, um, because 
I, what I find is that um, in the visual arts, and especially in animation, is that people tend to try to play it fast and loose. Um, and they try to get away with, um, I, I'll say, well, I mean, you say casual, but I'll just say um, sloppiness or carelessness. Um, I find a lot of visual artists think that they can get away with um, carelessness that you would never allow of a music student, for example. Um, so, um, and part of that has to do with the fact that I think that, you know, when somebody doesn't know how to play their instrument, like you can tell right away. Um, and an audience is not going to tolerate for one minute somebody gets up on stage and with a guitar and um, doesn't know how to play it. Um, you don't stand for it. Um, there's a tendency with visual art and with film and animation in particular for people to um, be much more forgiving. <laughs> um, partly because the, the medium is just less well understood and it, you know, it's, had, it's had less of a history. And maybe there's less of a mm, common vocabulary that, 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 that people are versed in. Um, but um, that, 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 that's a long conversation in itself. I, I, I don't want to go into that beyond, beyond that. But, <laughs> but, but what I will say is that the way I structure my course is that what I try to do, because it's such an overwhelming uh, set of skills that you have to acquire in order to be a filmmaker is that I really break it down into something that's um, a, a, a discrete set of nuts and bolts skills. And you're working on a film, right, as a director? That's correct, yeah. I don't know anything about your project, but um, um, what, what, what is it? Is it a, is it a short? Is it a, um, yeah, right now it's a short film and what we're yeah. designing to be a feature adaptation of that. So the short film we're making is like a piece of that world basically. Um, okay. And did you write the script? Yeah. Anthony, my director partner in this and I, um, we've created the treatment for it and we're building and developing the script as like right now actually so is, is the idea that you're eventually interested in being becoming a director you know i've always wanted to it's part of um just something like um a dream of mine ever since i was a child i think to create and build my own films because and you know, when i first started i wanted to just work in the film industry period and then as i go through the various stages of working on other productions i've realized what i would like to do personally myself more which is express my own ideas and and, and learn and study and, and and create my own worlds basically so yeah so how do you uh how do you um what, what's your approach to you know the importance of story um, in this particular instance, in this project that you're making, so is it? Uh, well, that, I don't know anything about it. So, well, I think it's quite tough because I can't really talk too much about it, so it's hard to get descriptive. But in regards to say the story, for me and Anthony, the story helps us. It, the story for us is almost like a 
a map at a glance. It helps us, you know, design the sequence of events to invoke what it is that we're after. Um, but it's also much more than that going deeper into, you know, the themes and the ideas and the, the sensibilities and the qualities in which we're trying to get across, um, which is much more of a sensory device, I suppose, in, in that respect. So it's a, it's like a bit of a mix between all those things. So, but again, I, in, and without sounding way too vague, which I apologize, I have to, um, it's more or less just you know, trying to save. But but I, I guess the question I'm asking is, so do you have a specific thing that you want your audience to take away from it after they've seen the film? Um, or are, are you less, shall I say, um, expecting to be in control of that? In, you know, I think for me personally, um, I can't speak for Anthony, but for me, the art in which I create that's personal belongs to me personally. And I create it for myself. Myself happiness is what I'm after basically. And then if somebody else enjoys it, then I'm happy that that happens, but it's not the reason why I create the work I create. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's, um, uh, kind of like you said, like when you tell us a joke and it's okay if people don't laugh, it's, funny to you so it's similar i guess no, that's, not what I, that's actually not what i was saying no that's what i picked up <laughs> no it's actually not what i was saying at all but that's okay <laughs> well when mm-hmm. i asked you um um like if you told no, a joke to your friends good. well um what i was saying is that um i don't necessarily set out to tell a joke but um if 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 a laugh or humor comes out of the anecdote or the or the the story point um, as a as a as a natural um, byproduct, whatever, yeah, byproduct of it. Mm-hmm. Then, um, then I would um, try to recognize that and 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 allow it to uh, to be cultivated as such. But I I try not to force anything um, into a joke format. You know that that isn't already naturally um bending in that direction okay that that that's more what i was trying to say gotcha whereas i find very often that 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 you know people who make um funny films uh very often try to do that you know which i don't know I, i i to me it's just it's just not that interesting to me sure well it's just at the end of the day it's a manipulation again so you turn it into a joke you know yeah um but um um so um does it matter to you then like do you does it matter to you at the end of um somebody watching your film um whether or not they understood what it was that you were trying to communicate that is assuming that there is something that you were trying to communicate yeah, I think personally, I do strive to have some sort of connection. But at the at the end of the day, too, I'm very much aware that as much control as I can try to have of that, I have to be realistic in the fact that people are completely different from me, and I can only put my best, you know, effort forward in creating well, the work. Well, do you leave it at that, or do you are there? Do you take steps in striving to? hone your 
ability to communicate precisely. Because the reason I ask that is because you know that's really what I try to uh, get at in my in my course, which is sure. the, which is the idea that this is not something that you need to necessarily leave up to happenstance. And, and you know, if it works, it doesn't. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, there, there, there are skills that a director can acquire that um, increase their ability to be um, eloquent. Yeah, well, I mean, again, if we're talking about it being a complete communication device, I mean, if I'm trying to communicate an idea, that's my job and task, then of course. But I think what I've what I'm getting at here personally is when I do deep down create the personal work in which I create, it's almost like I'm sitting at my table drawing and I could care less if somebody comes in and looks at it or not. I just am creating it as I go because I'm taking the risk and just being myself creatively, completely unencumbered. If that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think it's only what I'm talking about is, is more or less for this project isolated. Maybe being narcissistic. No, I'm, I'm not trying to be narcissistic at all. I think I'm just. No, no I'm, not, I'm not asking you if you if you're trying to be narcissistic. I'm, I'm asking you if you are concerned whether or not that might be narcissistic. Oh well, I guess so. Sure. I mean, I could see that as being that way. It's just I'm. It's not that I don't value that. It's just I've gone through my career with trying to please other people for you know. That's how I've been designed to please other people, create stimulated design or whatever it might be. But, 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 but why do you assume that um, you can't do both? Um, I think, that's, you know, like... Um, those, those two things do not need to be in opposition. And, and ideally, they would not be. Sure. And, 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 and I would say that maybe you're selling yourself short by um, not placing that expectation on your work. Um, it, I mean, I understand that you're probably saving yourself a lot of grief. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> but, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a defense mechanism, probably more than anything. Um, you know, because if but, I, if I reveal who I really am and what I really like truly to an audience hoping for admiration or whatever, some sort of connection yes, and I don't I, get it, that could be crushing, you know? Um, okay. Um, but, what, <laughs> but, but when, when you see a film that really touches you and affects you, mm -hmm. um, do you, um, uh, what's funny because, you know, to me, <laughs> it, it, it's funny because to me in a way, um, 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 A film like Contact is 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 doing mainly that, um, in the sense that it is very very conscious of the effect it's having on its audience. Um, you know, I, to, for me, I, to a fault. Um, but um, um, I guess the reason why I'm asking that is that um, you know I I try to. I try to have perspective in the sense of um, putting myself in the position of a member of the audience watching my film as I'm making the film. I, I think very much about the audience. 
Um, I, as I said before, you know, I, I feel like it's a responsibility that you have as a filmmaker or as an artist. Um, well, I think it is if you are making work for an audience, right? As you're mentioning, you know, we talk about film, and, but if you're making a film for yourself or if you're making a piece of art, that or, doesn't matter if anybody never sees your film after you've, after you've made it. I think, um, you know, I would like for certain people to see it, but at the same time, I think so, I'm okay with the idea that if nobody does, as long as I'm happy with the work that I've put in and, um, it's more about the process of making the film as opposed to what somebody's going to get out of it when, when they see the final result. It depends. Well, I mean, I guess for this one personally, it's just more like a, more of a personal journal kind of in a sense. It's like a, a letter to my child self, I guess, if that makes sense. It's quite personal in a weird way. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess the reason why I keep kind of, pushing the point is that, you know, I, 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 I think that, um, for me, the, um, the, the biggest reward that you can get out of being an artist is, you know, finding that, finding the means to be able to, um, express yourself fully without compromising yourself, mm-hmm. um, the way that it also, um, is, um, addressing, maybe that's the wrong word, but I'll use it. Um, ad- addressing the the need of an audience, because you know, to me, I you know, I can't be motivated to make something that that um, if I feel like there's a chance that nobody's going to see it or or appreciate it. I mean, to me, that's everything. You know, when you I mean, were a kid, would you draw only to like show your parents or your brothers? Not as a kid, no. I mean, as a kid, I, I, I um, um, even though I would, I mean, I, I would show them to, to other people, but, um, um, I, um, it didn't matter whether or not people saw it or not at, when I was a kid. Um, because it's, um, well, to put it this way, it might sound a little little crude, but (laughs) it's, it's, it's not a big, um, forfeiture at that point. But it's so pure though, at that point, don't you say it's unencumbered by all these other desires, wants, distractions, and, you know, mixed ingredients that could, I mean, like what you're saying is you're saying that there's a way to find the balance between the two. But what I'm saying also is as a child, when you're creating, you're just unencumbered and you're just solely creating. The reason reason why I discourage that is because it's a waste in the the sense that it's a lost opportunity. Um, Because it's a great deal of effort and maybe expense to make something. And I feel like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just wasteful. No, it must have the purpose and the end result. Like you say. Well, it's, you know, it's selling yourself short as, a, as an artist. Cause I, I feel like, um, uh, it can do, your effort can, can 
um, you know, and, you know, if, if that's your choice, that's fine. But, but, but I, I you know, for, for me, it is, it is a tremendous amount of effort and, and an investment, um, to, to, to make anything that's, you know, really creative. What do, you, what do you like out of your audience member? Let's say like one of your projects, what's, what's your goal when somebody sits down and invests time to consume something that you've created? Well, to state it as generally as I can, because different projects have different names, but but um, as a as a general principle, it's that they will be um, triggered. Their mind will be triggered to discover a train of thought or a meaning um, that they weren't expecting. Um, which is what, which is the reason why I, which is the thing that I'm constantly looking for when I, when I sit down to watch a film, which is, I really want to be, um, I want to be shaken. I want to be, um, what's the word? I want to be, um, maybe shaken out of complacency. Like I, I want, I want to, I want, I want to have, I want to have an experience of discovery. In other words, um, discovering a way of thinking or discovering uh, a way of somebody else, the way somebody else thinks, um, in a way that I feel is a, um, you know, helps give me insight into either um, something I didn't think about. uh, I, I wouldn't have thought about otherwise. Sure. It's kind of incepting your mind and giving you something to think about. Yeah. I mean, I'm always hoping to be startled or astonished or, or transported. Um, you know, the best films to me do that. And that's the experience that I'm hoping to be able to, um, to give my audience. Hmm. And, 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 and really that drives everything. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, but you know, to be more specific, um, it has to do with triggering the viewer's mind to discover a meaning in what they're seeing. Um, because that, you know, I think that that's um, uh, you know, it, 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 it's allowing the viewer to have a creative experience of their own. Hmm. yeah that's Tr- awesome that's cool Tr- triggering triggering creativity in, in, in your view and if you're not doing that for me you know I, it's like I, I'm not even interested in, in either making a film that doesn't do that or in watching a film that doesn't do that and there's so many films that don't do that yeah that sure. I think that most films they're really out to just reinforce your, the way you already think about things um, or promote a point of view that is you know, already conventional wisdom and, or, um, I mean, that's most films actually is, is that, is that, you know, they're just trying to flatter, <laughs> flatter the audience's, um, preconceptions. Sure. You know, like contact. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the reason why I brought up contact, um, is mostly because of the similarities in story arc and theme kind of that were happening between the two. 
what your favorite film prometheus and all that good stuff so yeah i think there's um some interesting parallels that happen between there one thing i wanted to definitely touch on before we cap this off is you know in regards to your instruction and teaching um how do you approach the concept of style because you're a creative that i've seen from afar that obviously has a unique style and has had a unique style and i know that you are very open about where you pull your inspiration and muse from but when it comes to working with you know up and coming talent and creatives that are trying to create content how do you approach that part of the subject matter well if you ask me specifically about this thing that we call style i i tell my students to forget about it <laughs> don't even think about it because the minute you start thinking about it yeah. it's, it ceases to be authentic because style, what style is, is not something that you devise or you invent or that you contrive. And if you're conscious of it, then um, it, it no longer becomes authentic. If you, this is the thing about style is that um, if you just do whatever you are setting out to do in the way that feels natural to you, that becomes your style. And that's, that's where true style comes from. So, and it's true no matter what you're doing. If you're, if you're a musician, for example, if you're a guitarist and you, and you admire another guitarist's style and you try to emulate them, then you're just emulating them. You're not, you're not being true to who you are as an artist. I mean, you, it, 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 it's a way to get started on your, your journey to, to finding your style. But, um, you know, a, a, a particular guitarist plays the way they do because that's they're just trying to play the guitar in the best way they know how to and because of their innate idiosyncrasies it just comes out that way and that becomes their style and you know and, and that that is their style and that's what authentic style is so an example that i like to use is um we see examples of um people these days one one of which i can cite is um did you see the animatrix Yes, of course, yeah. Um, so there's one of those episodes, it's called Detective Story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it makes a very conscious attempt to emulate a film noir style. Yes. Um, and um, <laughs> it, and you, you'll see people trying to make films in a film noir style, for example. Yeah, Aliens one. Not really. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't place that label on it. I think that's unfair. But but um, I think it's more or less the use of light and dark. That's what I'm like talking about. Well, <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is that when when people, if you if you look at real genuine film noir of real people who made film noir. When they made those films, film noir did not exist. The, the term film noir did not exist. They were just making films in a way that felt natural to them. They felt like this story um, is appropriate to do in this way, and that was natural to them. And they weren't thinking about, I'm going to make this in this film noir style. Film, the term film noir as a style is something that some French critic came up with like 
years, decades later and said, oh, well, these films all have this kind of thing in common. Let's call it this. And then somebody who comes along now and says, oh, well, I really like this film noir style. I'm going to do my film in this style. What they're doing is they're, they're not... They're, <laughs> Um, they're not making a film in a way that somebody who originally made a film noir was making his film. They're 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 taking something, they're borrowing something that's 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 ready made, and they're they're trying to fit their work into that mold, and that's and that's not authentic. I mean that's that's um, mannerism. Do you feel that when you are creating your own work, do you think that you have your own defined style? Yeah, I don't think of it in those terms. I mean, I, 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 I do have my own style, but it's not something that I try to cultivate. I just make things in the way that feels the most effective and um, natural to you know, the way I approach the subject and that, and, and then people will look at that and they'll say, Oh yeah, I can tell that, you know, this person, the same person made this and made that. I mean, people can look at fire breather, for example, and say, yeah, you know, I, I recognize that as a Peter Chung film, even though, you know, it's not drawn, it's, it's all CG. It's a different story, different subject matter, different characters. Um, but, um, there's still something recognizable in it that people recognize as, you know, belonging to the, to, to the way I do things. And they say, Oh, that's Peter Chung's style, but it's not something that I've contrived. It's something that, you know, and that's the way it has to be. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I totally agree with you too. And I think your example of, you know, the musician is a great example where you just, a style comes from you, just yeah, so you, you should not. Uh, what I tell students is that they should not even think about it or worry about it. Okay, just just do something to the best of your abilities, and you know, in in the way that's natural to yourself. And, and, you know, and I think and that's and that and and you know, and somebody else will come along and they'll say, "Oh, I recognize that as your style," but yeah. but that's that but that's up to somebody else to to, to uh, decide to, to to identify. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think we say a lot of the same things, but I think my, my way of taking in information from you is gets confused or maybe it's my ability to listen properly or not. But yeah, I think sometimes we say quite similar things and then we aren't contradicting one another's thoughts, <laughs> which makes for a really interesting conversation. So, because when I, when I was talking about like, you know, creating and drawing myself, I'm not trying, I'm not trying deliberately to be contentious <laughs> or argumentative. I just, I just think it makes for a more lively discussion for the, no, it's great. No, I don't, I think it's great. I, I mean, you know, it'd be the most boring thing in the world if we just you know, sat here and just said, Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with all of that. And this and yes, of course. I, so, um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, um, I'm not trying to say I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just, um, I am just trying to make this interesting for myself. No, definitely. Well, I mean, when I, when I was talking about the time that, and I'm just going to go personal about it. When I sit and I draw and I create something for myself to me, when we talk about say style is I'm not thinking about those other things. I'm just like a kid and I'm creating, it's like the, 
you know, and I'm doing it the best that I can. And that's where my own style kind of starts to live. And that's kind of what I was talking about. The way that I work is if I were to start thinking about like, oh, I wonder if this person's going to think this is that, um, it kills off my own style and my approach to the art in which I try to create. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, it's, it becomes limiting in, in the yes. sense people then it creates a preconception in the part of the view, which is something you want to avoid. Yes. And so when I say when I'm creating, it's a very kind of innocent approach that I have. And I'm not when I'm doing my own style and I'm just if I relate it to, say, playing the guitar, because I played bass for many years and I taught myself how to play bass and I'm left handed. So it's quite weird. And when I would play, I would, of course, be acknowledging what great instruments are and great musicians but when i would play i would play the music and the tones that would give me emotional satisfaction and that's all that mattered to me and you know i know that sounds narcissistic but if i create work that's not something that makes me happy it's like part of creating work for me personally is self-satisfaction and enjoying yeah, the sounds and tones you, you know i i don't I don't mean to sound like I don't think that's important to me. To me, that goes without saying. Sure. Um, that that you're going to do that, but you know, may, maybe that's not so obvious in the case of a lot of people, in, in the sense that they, you know, they, they feel like part of their role as a professional is to, you know, deny their own satisfaction. Um, well, I see that so prevalent. That's why we have, you know, like we talked about, we have a, an abundance of work that's just very surface level and it's lacking that. Yeah, and they, yeah, you end up making work that's not pleasing to yourself and, and at the same time not pleasing to anybody else either. That's what I was meaning. And when I try to go and make work and if I try to think about a stranger I've never met with completely different values and, you know, if I were to try to make a film for you, I wouldn't even know what to do, to be honest. Well, well <laughs> what I'm going to tell you, though, is that, um, is that there are ways of... Um, not not ensuring it, but at least increasing your chances that your audience is going to that your viewer is going to be receptive to something that is personal to you, and um, it's a large part of what I try to teach. That's a big tough thing to teach. I don't even know how to approach that because that's so complicated. <laughs> because you know, we you're you're riding the line in my eyes between being independent and um, having a liberated creative soul and then also being able to feed an audience. I totally agree with you. There is absolutely a way to do both. Um, you know, let's say, let's use well, well, Jimi well, Hendrix, for example, as a musician, yeah. definitely able to, at least for my, I mean, I've never met him. I've never, I don't know who he is. I've never, I'm not Jimi Hendrix, but there has to have been a time in his life where he was being completely, himself and then the world is reacting to that in let's say a positive manner enough to support him to continue what he was doing you know so um <laughs> yeah, well, maybe maybe we can go into a little i mean if, if you'd like i can send you um i can actually send you um my syllabus yeah i'm really curious because this um, is a gotta be how do your students respond to this how are how are they doing with your class are you finding- oh, they love, they, 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 i i um <laughs> um i get a lot of very gratifying feedback from my students um that you know a lot of them tell 
tell me um, after they take the course that you know it's completely changed the way that they approach or even watch films. Um, because what I try to do is I I I try to break it down into. Um, well, well, let me let me put it this way. I think I think that as you said, the the thing that makes it appear to be a difficult subject to to teach and to learn is that people have the perception that it's something that's very tied to a um, something elusive, something that's very personal. Um, and um, when you say that this director is a good director, um, people have a very vague idea of what that means or why, what makes a, a good director a good director. Um, people in general aren't very good at articulating beyond that. Um, but do you think it, they need to? I'm sorry? Do you think they need to? Sometimes things just hit you, like love, for example. Do you believe in love? Like that deep rooting, you know, or do you believe in, let's say, actually love at first sight, for example? Because I guess that's kind of connected to it. To answer your question, Ash, yes, I, I do I do think you need to. Um, if you're working as a professional. Sure. Um, Understand the ingredients to what you're working with is that yeah, more because, or less? because very often what I find is that people um, will often just say, well, I, you know, this just doesn't work or, you know, this film was boring and just, it'll just kind of sit there. Blanket you know. statement. But you have to be able to articulate why a scene that is boring or why it doesn't work or why it's not engaging. Sure. Um, and analyze it and understand how to fix it so that it, so that it is engaging. And, you know, that, that to me is everything is, is, um, is engaging the imagination of your, of your viewer. And there are very kind of practical nuts and bolts. Maybe this is a strange word to use, but you know, the tricks that directors use. And it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, in listening to directors talk or being interviewed, like what I what I found is that directors are very cagey, or they're very reluctant to talk about what a director actually does. And very often I find that um, I, I I very often I imagine that it's because they're like protecting trade secrets. And um, either that, or they don't want to be revealed as the con that they are. <laughs> Some of them are. Or yeah. or or, well, what I found is that if you try to talk about this in a in a in a public um, meeting, like, you know, in a room full of executives at a network or something, mm-hmm. they'll look at you like you're crazy because they'll have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and that's another reason why I think th- directors may sometimes be reluctant to talk about what they actually do because, um, you know, the task of directing a film, a narrative film, you know, a lot of it is actually very, um, it's very, Maybe this is, again, this might be the wrong word, but 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 it, mechanical. Um, you know, the, the, there there are a set of s- skills and techniques that you know a, a director uses, um, which are um, pretty universal. You know, if, if you look at enough films. Um, and you know, you, you look at films that work versus those that don't. Um, but um, 
um, that would be another long conversation to have. Or, you know, or you have to take my course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. It's very interesting. But I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think if you're doing this as a professional, I would say um, kind of looking at it, say, very close to how a cook would you know, dissect a meal and have its his his or her palate be able to dissect the ingredients and you know, oh this has too much of this kind of flavor. Um it's overpowering this thing and to really articulate it and understand it. But what I'm saying is there is when I'm a child and I go in through and I watch a film and I experience it as I would say I would experience pure love or first love or love at first sight. It's a, similar to me personally. Um, it, there's a driving force that I don't necessarily need to, then again, I'm saying as a child, which is a basic film goer, um, I don't necessarily need to know what goes in the ingredients as long as I'm satisfied. So I guess it's different approaches and it's it's actually different things that I'm, I'm addressing at different points of, you know, the perspective, you know, so. Of course, that's fine. You know, if, if you're a viewer, but for somebody involved in, in, making films yes um, it does behoove you it does um it, it is incumbent on you to become versant um in in making those kinds of critiques no, i agree uh, with you i think so it's, that's and, really and, true. and not leaving it up to oh well it's a matter of taste or it's, it's so subjective or you know <laughs> um, those favorite, that, those are that, your favorite that's, lines that's really not very useful um in those situations yeah, that's true. Very true. Well, man, this has been this has been awesome. I have one last question, if it's okay with you. Yeah, sure. So we talked a lot about you know, well, we talked a lot about interesting abstract things, and I'm hoping that people will be able to take some interesting you know thoughts and things from this our conversation. I want to know, you know, you're teaching now. You know, what excites you now, and what is what is the future like for you? Well, I, I'm working on. I'm not. I mean. I teach once a week, like one semester a year, so it, it, it doesn't take up a lot of my time um, physically, although it does take up a lot of my time mentally. Sure. Teaching's and, taxing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's good. It's it, it's 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 challenging and it's invigorating, and you know, I, I I feel like I learn as much as I you know impart to my to my students. But you're doing uh, it right then. I'm, <laughs> I'm um, working on. A new project that's uh, something I'm pretty excited about, and it's something completely. Um, um, you, you ask me what gets me excited. Well, I'm, um, you know, I've never been that interested in um, conventional narrative. I, you know, I, I find that it's um, there's a lot of drudgery involved in making something fit within a. Uh, standard conventional narrative framework there's this i'm interested in the ideas in a story rather than the story itself and very often what you find you have to do is you have to create this entire like scaffold uh, for the ideas to dwell in you know which in the end for me when i watch a film i if i have if i get the the central idea. I I just dispose of the story. I don't think about this. I don't spend any more time thinking about the story and what the characters is because it's all fiction. Um, and, and all of those things are just you know it, it's a form of escapism to um, to 
to spend your time um, thinking about those things. And it's, it's why I don't, I don't have the patience to watch a lot of uh, series, like TV series. Mm-hmm. I, I've tried to get into a few, but I just find that there's there's just so much you have to sit through to get, you know, um, whatever whatever um, core meaning is underlying all of the narratives. Um, that that it, 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 it's just it's just so, such an inefficient way of delivering ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, that's really what I'm interested. In. I'm in, I'm interested in the ideas. I'm, I'm not interested in the story. Um, which, which you know, uh, maybe you know, there's been kind of uh, a, a an impediment to my career. In yeah, way. I was going to say. Yeah, it's going to be in especially with the way people consume stuff in this country, especially. Yeah. Because we're a story-driven um, uh, populace. But, it, yeah. but what I was getting at is that so, so I'm in, involved in this new project, which is very short form, and which tries to, and which is trying to um, just get to the important stuff efficiently. Um, I, you know, I'd rather watch. I'd rather make a one-minute film that gets watched a hundred times by somebody. Then make a hundred-minute film that gets watched once. Hmm. Um, so that's that's that's. Anyways, that's great. Yeah, no, that's I'm, awesome. I'm not going to say much more about it than that. But. Yeah, keep it close. You only get one first impression, so use it wisely. So awesome, man. This has been um, lots of things to think about. I'm sure everybody else that's listening to this too has got some interesting things to think about. Um, I'm going to go try and give Prometheus one more try for you. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm actually curious because, you know, there's, you know, it's like, if, go ahead. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you, have you, have you, have you seen a lot of, um, Fellini films or, um, have you seen City of Women or Juliet of the Spirits? I haven't seen either of those. No. Have you seen, uh, The Holy Mountain by Jodorowsky? Yes. I've seen bits and pieces of that. I haven't watched the whole thing. Or Santa, Santa. Well, I, well, if you haven't watched the whole thing, I take it it wasn't quite your uh, to your taste. There's bits and pieces, but I think it's more or less I had to be in the complete mood and tone for that. There's certain rides that I have to be ready for, and I think yeah, I just wasn't ready for it. Um, or um, I think I remember listening on one of your podcasts where, where you were discussing Antonioni. Or Antonioni, this is how you pronounce his name, um, um, who is you know very important to me, um, but you know I, f- I find that my students in general haven't haven't seen his films. What, um, what films has he done? Well, his most famous ones are La Ventura and Blow Up, um, but uh, La Notte is um, is another good one. The Eclipse. I haven't seen any of those. Yeah, well, see, that's what I'm saying about you know, being exposed to a lot of different kinds of films. Sure. So, so, um, and because, I'm, I'm not really a huge. I mean, I watch films, but I actually spend more of my time working and learning than anything. Um, and I think it's, it, I, I do enjoy watching films, but I also, it's hard to juggle those balances where, um, sometimes I get really pissed when I don't like a film and I've wasted my time. So, <laughs> and that's just more of a personal problem, I guess, because I could, I think about, well, I could have 
hung out with my daughter or done this or that and damn it, you know? So, <laughs> but I think it's more of a personal thing. I, I love films and I love certain films, but I guess it's more or less, I don't, I don't allow free time to enough free time, at least to personally explore um, films on a very regular basis. Whereas like say my friend, Anthony, who's I'm making this film with is that he, he watches films all the time, all the time. And he's constantly quoting and referencing films. And that's where I think I'm still trying to ride that in between line. And, and I guess it's because I'm right in the middle between trying to be the child with the style and then also the, the, the cook with the taste, you know? So <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to really put a finger on, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, knowledge is interesting as it works, but it also can counter, um, the creative spirit. I think if you, if you know too much, I think, I don't know, I guess not. I'm, just, I'm still maturing so, as I, I don't know the answer. So one more recommendation. So have you seen Jack Tati's playtime? I haven't. No. So Could that's, do- that's my favorite film of all time. So, um, um okay, you, made a re- you made a recommendation. Um, I would recommend that you, you, you watch that. What is it again? <laughs> what is it again? I'll, I will for sure watch it. What is okay. it? It's called playtime. Playtime, one word, um, by Jacques Tati. T-A-T-I, okay. Playtime. Okay. And don't tell me any more about it. I'll just go watch it. Okay. And then, yeah, because I like to have the first experience too. But I'm interested in this. I'm, I'm always curious to when people refer me to things. Um, and you're you're always very, you have my mind going. So I'm really curious to see what this does to my head. So, Yeah. I'll look forward to that and checking it out. Um, but yeah, thank you for doing this. I know um, it's taken us a little bit of a while, and I think there's a bit of you that is reluctant to do these kind of things. I imagine, I think from no, actually, I'm not. You know, since I started teaching, I'm. You know, I, I, yeah, that's true. <laughs> teaching, I, I, you know. Um, but you're pl- you're publicly on the internet now, and it's like you know, it's quite a thing. So, well, it's already been two and a half hours. Yes. Yeah, two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, but let's right. wrap it up then. I think this yeah. is, um, I really appreciate it. And um, okay. yeah, if, if you're ever interested and you want to do another one, maybe you and I could go through Prometheus together and do a, a commentary <laughs> on it. And I think that would actually be incredibly great. You're, I, hate, I hate that idea, actually. I think it'd be awesome because I would really like to see. Well, in general, as a general principle, I hate the idea of director's commentaries. Or- <laughs> I, I, I think I think there it's a it's a it's well it's a process lovers thing. I love it because I love to know the because I learn personally. I I don't I never went to film school, so it's like a that's how I'm learning certain things about the traits of things. But again, it does destroy. It, it defeats the entire purpose of why you made a film in the first place. If you're going to go through it, and Spielberg that, that is like that though. Spielberg doesn't refuses to to do them because of that same reason. Yeah, and so does David Lynch, and they're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I I was forced to do it, or I was encouraged to do it when we did the Eon Flux DVD release. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I did some commentaries, and it was really frustrating because I did not, for the most part, want to be talking about it. Yeah, well, that's why directors do it most of the time, because just like you, they're like, hey. And I, was, <laughs> and I was trying to find ways of, you know, of, uh, of saying something interesting without, you know, actually 
saying what was really going on because I, I, you know, um, you should never do that. Um, I mean, you know, I, I would never be interested in hearing, for example, you know, Stanley Kubrick talking over um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's just the last <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah. Certain things. I think certain projects and certain movies and certain, certain things for me personally are kind of like an exercise of the practice of, of film, not the entire entity of a unique being of film, if that makes sense. So they're completely different things. So some are warranted to have that because it's like a practitioner film rather than um, the experience of it. Like a David Lynch film is very like, if, yeah, I wouldn't want to have David talking to me about his, his process through that. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's very interesting. And that's why Steven Spielberg doesn't do him. He refuses to do them. I mean, he never does. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good thing I think is that I, you know, it, it, it was um, it was a trend, but I think that uh, people's interest in it has kind of died down compared to when DVDs first came out, which I think is a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this argument with um, people all the time too. So there's certain films that, it, like, um, um, like say The Hobbit, for example. That Peter he documented The Hobbit crazy, and it's like seven hours or something of how the making of the Hobbit. And for me, that alone is more entertaining than the film itself. And it's, there's a show on HBO. Um, I think, yeah, it's, but that's, but that's just a reflection on how bad the film is. <laughs> I didn't say that, because, but yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I, I didn't say that, but yeah, no, definitely. That would be the case. I mean, because yeah, that sure. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I'm, um, we can go on for hours, I'm sure, okay. but let's, let's, uh, wrap it up here and, yeah. um, let's, let's, um, I'll, I'll talk with you after this, but yeah, Peter, thank you so much. Um, thank All you right. for, uh, yeah, your time. Feel free, to, feel free to edit the hell out of this. You probably should. No, yeah. I'm going to keep it all and all the ums and everything. It's going to be great. <laughs> you know, we don't edit the episodes unless you're, you know, you're hell bent on us editing them. But I think, you know, all in all, I think it's fine as it is. It is an honest <laughs> conversation. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate yeah. it. And that concludes this week's episode. Big thank you to Peter for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 134, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.